Thanks to everyone who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Mick Cowans, Ian Mercer, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Illico Elia, Roland Roberts, and Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so from $1 per episode. Go to 361podcast.com forward slash support. There we go. Hello. There we are. Hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. Uh, we're live. Yes. Live again. Once more. The joy begins. Do we want to do some claps? Yep. Uh, yes, we do need to do some claps, don't we? Just. Oh, just one time, can we say do some claps and not have your intent into a performing seal? <laughs> uh, I'll just pour some sparkling water. Uh. Do you want the sound effects, Mark? He might need. No. He might need it for something. He might. He might need it for something. He might need this. You just don't know. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have talked over it though. Sorry about that, Mark. <laughs> Ruined it. Yeah, but you know the first bit you could use. Right, I'm ready. Yeah, you're right. He might need it to play in your torture cell. <laughs> Welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Ewan McLeod. I'm Ben Smith. And I'm Ray Blanford. This is Season 20, Episode 8, and this week we're talking about the growing availability of flexible screens and asking whether it's time to buy a folding smartphone. Chaps, how are you doing? Very well, thank you, Ben. How about you? I'm very good. Thank you, Rafe Blanford, coming to us live from London. How are you there? Well, London is much as it has been for the past 18 months, starting to get a bit busier, not really having a summer. But yeah, <laughs> good. What's Oman like? Is it, I don't know, hot? It is hot and dark currently, 31 degrees. Well, great insight. It's what people come to this podcast for. <laughs> 31 degrees. It is getting a little bit cooler. That's it, giving us all that valuable, what was the weather when they recorded the episode several weeks before it was released content. It's just, okay. it's, uh, it's just topical. Topical, right? I am warming up now because I, I had set the aircon to 20 degrees. I just checked to see what the temperature was in London and then in Hampshire there, uh, there Ben. So I was feeling quite cold, but switched the aircon off because we're recording and now it's warming up again. So by the end of the podcast, it's going to be too hot. The impossible glamour of podcast recording, isn't it, is that you sit in a poorly sound-treated room and shut all the windows and turn the air conditioning off to get some decent audio quality, and 35 minutes later, you're still trying to be coherent through the <laughs> drenched in sweat as the room gets sort of stuffy and unpleasant. So, <laughs> yes, podcasting, it's not the glamour it's cracked up to be. Indeed. Anyways, it's lovely to see you both. We've had a couple of weeks off, mm. again, although the release schedule sort of somewhat masks that because we record these out of sequence and then put them out on a schedule, although I think our uh, summer holidays have probably scuppered that schedule now. So we're operating to sort of Smith standard time at the moment, I think, which is kind of <laughs> aspirational, but no hard commitments at this stage. Yes. So um, let's do our respective COVID updates because it All would right. feel wrong not to. Mm. Can you go places in Amman yet, Ewan? Yes, you can. You can. You're about to, and we don't quite know how that's going to happen yet, but you're about to have to evidence your vaccination status to go shopping. Ooh. So I'm not quite sure how that's going to I think you have to show your phone. I think most countries now have some kind of app that's got your vaccination status somewhere on it. So I think that's coming. But you can go everywhere. The skies are open in the next two days. Oh, no, no, sorry. It's next week. The skies are going to be open, opening. So we can actually fly. That's really exciting. 
I don't know if any of us will, but you, you can. And yeah, generally open. There was a curfew that stopped now, and the numbers are very low, which is uh, is fantastic, uh, promising. You've got to be careful with flying, haven't you? Go on. Make sure I'm tired. Uh, yes, yes, I, 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 yes, very good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So we, the Smith family, uh, since our last recording, has been to Ireland, which is obviously not the largest amount of travel, but is regardless international travel. And mm. the rules have changed recently there, such that we can go both ways without quarantining if we're fully vaccinated, which we are, and. Uh, it was interesting actually to see how that was all working because you're you're right, of course, that vaccine certificates are available in quite a lot of countries now, and the, the UK and Ireland included. Ireland is in the EU program where there's a, a central sort of standard for providing those certificates that should work across the EU. Of course, the UK has recently left the EU, and I was really impressed actually that nearly every restaurant that we went to wanted to see our vaccination status. Gosh, they were Yeah, they they asked for it and they checked everybody at the table but their app was able to read the QR codes on the UK certificates as well. Great. Mm. Now, I think there were some places where I got the distinct impression that they were just capturing them for checking later or if called upon to show to somebody else. But there was at least right. one place where I saw the person seating us at our table scan them and it actually you know, extracted the data and confirmed. How quick was that? It seemed to be pretty much immediate. So right. I'm assuming that there's not a lot of sensitive data encoded in the QR certificate and what they were just looking was perhaps that the numbers matched up with the rest of the document or the names or dates of birth or yeah, something yeah. was encoded in there. But what was interesting was to see actually that it has been possible to sort of do cross-border stuff. Exciting. Yeah. Well, in the UK, we're not having, apart from big events, we're not having to prove our vaccination status routinely. At least I've, I'm not, Rafe, mm. have you needed to show your vaccination status? No, I haven't. I mean, it seems to be fairly specific circumstances, like if you're going to big events which i haven't done all for travel yeah and we i mean to be clear we were eating in restaurants but we were eating in tiny you know these were small pubs and things so these were not big chain places in big towns and it just seemed to be pretty routine there but it all worked so i kind of have some hope that international travel might be possible again although you know we did limit where we went and what we did to stay away from people i haven't quite got over the headspace of avoiding you know meeting people Mm. So podcast live in Muscat sometime soon, yeah? Well, I'm just looking forward to uh, the inevitable sponsorship deal that will fund the international travel for that, but yeah, that'd be great. Rafe Blanford, last podcast we talked about your new and emerging and you and McLeod-inspired instant shopping habit that you'd developed where we'd, yes. for a joke, we'd take you a lot of chocolate and now you're addicted to 15-minute grocery deliveries. I think well, that's, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> yeah. that's roughly how it went. Something like that. Something like that. Have you continued to use, it was gorillas you used, wasn't it? It was, and I've actually only used it one more time because part of the prompt was self-isolating, and so basically it wasn't meant to go out shopping. And I haven't had another one of those because it hadn't been pinged by the COVID app. But I did use it on one occasion where, if I'm honest, I was just working late and I needed a specific ingredient to be able to cook a meal and rather than go out and get it and then I thought, oh well i'll also order some milk orange juice and other heavy things that are a bit inconvenient to carry back so i did feel marginally guilty about it that's a bit of a first world problem <laughs> it is those specific set of circumstances it is going to kind of be integrated into one of the things i use in the same way that delivery is on occasion but mm. certainly not getting up to the regular habit which i suspect most of these startups are building into their model mm. in order to be viable so i would be one of their kind of long tail users rather than regular Mm. partly because 
I'm out and about. It's fairly easy to go and pick something up. Mm. And as a single person living on your own, it's easy. You're too central. Yeah. I think it would actually become much more useful when you're entertaining and go, oh, I need to get that back. I don't want to pop out because I've got guests in the middle of stuff. So it is absolutely around that value proposition, which I think most of them are probably still trying to work out. And I think there will be more behavior change over the next 12 months as we come out of more working from home or you know people locked down and everything else. I would imagine it is quite hard to get that forecasting right at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking from a work perspective, anything that involves any amount of planning of what might happen in the future is incredibly difficult at the moment simply because everything depends on everything else and it's quite hard to know. So I'd imagine the venture capitalists funding things like Gorillas and um, we tested Getir, didn't we? And um, there was one or two others as well. Mm. They must just be holding Wheezy. their breath. Wheezy, yes. Uh, they must be holding their breath a bit, I guess, to see kind of whether this levels out because there's been a lot of commentary in the UK, particularly you know, in that um, these kind of services displaced Uber driving and things like that. So people transitioned oh. over from yeah. you know driving Uber cars to making these deliveries and it provided some alternate forms of income for those zero-hour contract workers, albeit and some continuity, yeah. whether that was actually a good thing in its own right or whether making people more dependent on that was up for some debate. And I think we talked about the pros and cons of that in the past. Mm. So just before we move on, you McLeod, you've said here you wanted to talk about AirTag update. Have you got anything particular to say? Yes, quite a few times, Hetty, wife, has, you know, where are the keys? Where are the keys? I said, ah, have a look, look for your air tag. And it's been really quick, effective, easy. And uh, we found them in the garage. I don't know, for some reason, child number three was playing with them in the garage. But yeah, they're really useful. I've been enjoying it. I haven't really used it that often. But I'm wondering, where are you guys on it? Are you neutral, happy, delighted, not much? We've got them on all of our sets of keys. So we've got a car key and a set of household keys that tend to keep separate. So we've got two each. Works really well like you. It's not about, oh, you know, kind of this incredibly precious thing I've lost. It's that thing of I came in from work the other day or I came in from the supermarket and put them down in the place where they shouldn't have been or I left them in the coat and it went back in the cupboard and now I'm running out to school or work or some appointment and I need to find them quickly. And that use case just comes up time and time again, works really well for us. I think the slightly quieter speaker in the air tags versus the tile devices mm. is offset by the directional finding. Right. You know, it's nice now that you can use the U1 chip to walk around the house and it sort of says, oh, it's at the front of the house. And if I know that it's the front of the house, so ah, it'll be in a coat yeah, pocket yeah, yeah, in the yeah. cupboard. Yes. And that speeds yeah. that up. But by the same token, I used to be able to make the tile chime, you know, to make a sound. Yeah, yeah. And that was normally loud enough that I could hear it. 20 feet away. So it's sort of solving the same problem in a different way. Really like it. Bit disappointed with the lack of family sharing now. Yes, because Hetty had to do it on her foot. She said, well, you do it. No, no, you've got to do it on your foot. Yes, we got used to using Tile where you sort of share tags and somebody else's tag is going to pop up in your account and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And we can't do that now, which is limiting and irritating. But also the first couple of journeys that we went on together, my wife was getting pings to say there's a, an air tag traveling with you uh, it was my right. car key in the car that i was driving and she was sitting next to me you know obviously i mean it, it was a reasonable warning because it shows that that kind of alert about your privacy uh, works yes, yes but yes we are in the same family group and i was also present with my device as well so you know kind of it lacked a little bit of intelligence there which was a bit disappointing because i thought the elegance of that solution was supposed to work better mm. but all in I feel more confident in this as an ecosystem and a set of 
devices that's going to last than tile, I think. Okay. Yeah, with you. You know, I'm glad I transitioned, but kind of haven't really thought about it that much beyond, as you said, you know, can't find my keys. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's handy. Move on. What about Blandford? Mr. Blandford, air tags? I mean, I've been using them quite a bit, but haven't had the use case where, oh, I need to find them. Hmm. I think that's partly to do with a bit of a creature of habit with where I put my keys down and things like that. You don't have small people in your house moving things when you're not looking. Exactly. This is definitely a scenario I do not have to deal with. Mm. But that said, I've got one sitting in a bag and one sitting in a kind of a suitcase. And actually, I want to buy another one to put it onto my keys because actually I think that's the thing I'm probably most likely to lose and be grateful that I can get a last location back very quickly. And now that I'm sort of going out of the house more, it's a, ooh, yeah, I should do something about that. But I need some advice on which holder to buy. The most expensive one, says Ben. Absolutely. The Apple ones are excellent yeah. too, and definitely not overpriced. Mm. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you. I want a flat one to go in my wallet. I have a tile still in my wallet, which is great because it's the thing that I carry around with me and tend to put down. And, you know, kind of right. I risk losing most that doesn't have an Apple AirTag on it. Um, I wish they'd make a flat one. There is no hope at all that I'm going to fit an AirTag in my wallet or attach it because it's far too Mm. fat. I tend to carry quite a small wallet around with me and I still need my driving license and various things like that. I can't go Mm. wallet-less all the time. So praying for one of those. I think we linked in previous episodes somebody who deconstructed one and kind of made their own flat AirTag, which is great, but I don't have the time or the energy for that. So I want a nice finished product, please, Apple, when you're ready. Mm. But yes, thumbs up to AirTags, although kind of uh, I guess I'm holding my breath to see during the September events when Apple announces further integrations. Right. More cool stuff. Yeah, yeah AirTags are fine, yeah. but actually I want it to be embedded in stuff I buy. Right. That would be quite cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, that might sway my buying decision between things yeah. I already liked, you know. Okay, yeah. we should move on this week. We're doing a kind of a, how, how shall I call it? Um, a one question, some answers this week. We're breaking the one question, yes. three answers format. One question, three answer was the idea that there were more than one correct answer to quite a lot of questions now, depending on what you needed or your preferences. And we were trying to be mm, mm. fair and balanced and reasonable and grown up and mature about these things, having been none of those things for the preceding 10 years. And <laughs> we have done lots and lots of one question, three answers so far, and we'll do them again. But we had a question come in through a friend of a friend, really. But I think it's one that we're not really ready to answer with three distinct answers yet. But it was too good a question to miss. So kind of, here follows one question, some answers. Yes. And Ewan, we'll kick off with you. Right. The question we were asked was about the new Samsung devices with folding screens. And mm. the question was asked, Yes. would you get one? Mm. But actually, I'd like to broaden it out to, would you get one? Are they any good? And should Apple be making one? Because, of course, as we record this, we're a couple of weeks away from Apple announcing its September lineup of devices which will like be the iPhone 12S or the iPhone 13, depending on how they do the naming sequence. And it'll be very unlikely that Apple will be announcing folding devices this time around. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a point of differentiation between them and some of their routine competitors. So mm. why don't you have a quick stab at, would you get one? Let's start there. Right. So first of all, I always, always, always enjoyed the Nokia communicator form factor. So for people who are less than 450 years old, just remind us, what that means. Now, what, what did you call it, Rafe? It's not clamshell, is it? What, what do you call it? The, the communicator, what was the description? I would call it a clamshell, yes. Really? 
Okay. Oh, so it's going back long. to the yeah. sign device heritage, but actually the communicators with the 9000 series. Yeah. Well, yeah. way before that, then the 9210 and everything else, mm. right up to the E7 where it became a bit more of a slider rather than a clamshell. Oh, we've, we've opened something. It here. was a tiny laptop. It was a tiny laptop shape. Well, Very tiny laptop. Open the keyboard. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I always like that. I like the form factor of a communicator. So, and I, I see in the latest, the Galaxy Z Fold 3, that's the uh, 5G. That's the marquee handset that's just been recently released from Samsung. I am a Samsung user. I have the S21 Ultra 5G. And I've been using Samsung for quite a while. I have seen and played with, but not owned, the Fold 2, the original. And, mm, okay, so so what puts me off, first of all, and I know this might sound strange to you, is it's £1,600, right? And I I just find, I find that difficult. Can I just stop you there? Go on. So a little bit of behind-the-scenes information for listeners who obviously weren't with us before the tape started rolling. We had a conversation 10 minutes ago about, what's that drink that you have? I don't think you've got it on the table anymore, but Uh, what was that fizzy drink you had? uh, It's called Focus. Focus. Strongly recommend it. And what is Focus? With a PH. Focus. PH. Ocus. What is it? It is sparkling water with added caffeine. Okay. And I stopped drinking. I'm really proud of myself. I stopped drinking carbonated, uh, like, like Diet Coke and Coca-Cola. Generally, I mean, now and again, I'm not, I'm not a teetotaler, right? But now and again, I'll have one, especially an iron brew, okay? It's a Scottish drink. But yeah, I've, I've stopped Diet Coke and Coca-Cola on a daily basis. That's the first time in about, I don't know, 25 years. Well, it's obviously an attempt to be more frugal as well, because obviously you don't want to buy the £1,600 handset and you, uh, you don't want to drink an expensive carbonated drink. So just tell us how much the fizzy caffeinated water is well it's, i do have to import it from the states that's the only problem the only problem he says ignoring well, his carbon footprint well, well okay but we're, we are technically importing diet cokes as well right if that's the deal hold on a minute i'm just looking at my i, I did a ben smith i have a spreadsheet because i'll be trying to figure out what the most effective way okay per can in pounds uh, 5.8 pounds per can total. 5.8 pounds per can. Or 3 pounds, depending on which way I get it. So the worst is 5.8. Uh, and that's pretty, pretty, pretty eye-watering. Can we um, just be clear what's in this can? Water and caffeine, Rafe. Right. <laughs> that's it. Yes. That's water, what caffeine, thought. and the hopes and dreams of a venture capitalist. <laughs> Look, it's, it is helping me and it helped me get off Diet Coke. That is a good thing. So, sorry, we've drifted a long way off the subject here, right. but I just right. wanted to touch upon the fact that a man who drinks, well, what you told me last time was eight pound cans of uh, It was eight pounds. Well, one of them, well, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, yes. When you buy them yeah. the inefficient way. I find a more pounds. efficient way of getting them, yeah. Okay. So just tell me why 1,600 pounds is too much for a handset, man who drinks 20 quid's worth of caffeinated water every day? Right. Look, I just, I, I it's, it, it's a different usage I've had less expensive cars than that. Okay, look, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I think you had also commented the other day that if um, when we started recording this podcast 10 years ago, if you'd said, look, uh, you know, a mobile handset, you know, we would be shelling out on average you know, £1,100, £1,000, £1,200 for a handset every year in some cases or every second year. We'd have thought that was nuts because yeah. I think at that point, the most expensive was about four, five hundred, four fifty, five hundred pounds £450, £500. Yeah. So the Galaxy Z Fold 3, catchy name, which is right. the 
foldy out like a notebook kind of one yep. with a hinge in the middle with a mm-hmm. continuous screen that kind of folds out from a rectangle to a square. Yeah, that communicator yes. lookalike, yeah. That's the £1,600 one in the UK. Obviously, that's retail. You might buy it through an operator with a subsidy and a mm. pay monthly piece. But like, where's the threshold? Because £1,600 is a lot of money. I don't want to be flippant about it. But it's also well within the limit of what mm. I've seen you spend on business technology in the past. No, absolutely, absolutely. See, look, I had an initial problem with the Apple devices when they were they're coming out and getting really, really expensive. Then my colleague, my uh, former CIO at uh, Nordea, uh, Alvaro, he said, look, you've got to look at it this way. You know, the device that you're going to use, you know, the most, the ROI, Yes, it is a thousand pounds you got to pay for this new. When Apple started going nuts with the pricing, he says, "But you are you're still going to get very, very good use of it." Yeah, okay, fair enough. I just feel sixteen hundred is just. I think it's that's well into laptop territory, right? Well into laptop. Territory. Oh, it's two laptops for some people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, um, didn't we do a look up towards the the, the Mac Book Air? Is it eight nine nine? Well, you can pick up a MacBook Air for just under a thousand pounds, depending on how you spec yeah. it and whether you buy it through an educational right. discount. But so two of them. Right. It is two very well specced Windows machines, you know, yeah, even if you just wanted to get away from the Apple premium. Yeah. So, Ewan, just hold that thought. So, you're saying no 1600 quid. Rafe, can we just touch on the issue of pricing before we then move on to our attitude to it and just rattle through the rest? Yeah. So, can you just walk us through the other devices that are kind of in this folding phone territory? Because we're talking about it because of this flagship Galaxy Z Fold 3 that Samsung have announced, but it's not the only device out there. So let's just catch ourselves up on the state of the market. Yeah. So you tend to get two types of these phones. You get the, what I'd call the horizontal fold and then the vertical fold. With the vertical fold being that um, Z Fold 3 that we've just talked about and most of the phones have been like that. Then you've got what is effectively a flip phone that folds Mm. in half and that's the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3. That comes in at 1150 GB pounds. Then there's actually a Motorola version of that, which is a little bit cheaper. It's been out a bit longer. There are then other manufacturers producing these phones. There's not loads of them out there, but just picking out a couple. The Huawei Mate X2 is interesting because arguably mm. being the highest spec is only available in China, but that comes at £1,900. Wow. That's a bit eye-watering. But then mm. to go to the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got the Xiaomi Mix Fold which is £1,100. So essentially for a foldable phone, you are looking at at least mm. you know, by the time there's sort of a little bit of you know, price depreciation through the phones having been available for a few months. And they're not available universally. I think probably helpful is to say you've got something like the Galaxy S21 Ultra 5G, so like top end of the sort of standard Galaxy phones. Mm. That's £950. And an iPhone 12 Pro Max kind of fully spec'd out, that comes in at £1,200. So at the bottom end, you are talking not dissimilar prices to the high-end flagships, but then those are the ones that tend to be loaded in terms of memory and or some other feature. It's probably worth saying there are a few other approaches, not a foldable phone, but the um, Microsoft Surface Duo, which was trying to solve the same problem, kind of two screens fold in half, but the screens aren't connected. That started at £1,300 and probably a hint about how successful it's been. That's now available at £679. So Mm. I think you just have to look through the market and go, you are essentially paying 
I would suggest about a 50% premium to get a foldable screen. And that varies between like what you might call the entry-level flip phones, which is still very, very high-end. And then at the very top end, you mm. are talking over £2,000. So, you know, there is that significant price kind of thing that you're paying to get this hardware innovation. Okay, so that's pricing. Okay, and I think that's a, a really useful analysis there, Rafe. Now, can we talk about usage? Because a lot of my colleagues have these, either the, the Fold 2 or... I don't know if anyone's got the 3. Has anyone? One chap's got the 3. Uh, has he got it? No, he hasn't. No, because it's not is it available. I thought he said he had the three. It depends on the market. They're in pre-order in the UK. Uh, maybe. My, uh, yeah, anyway, okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but I've certainly seen loads of the twos and they've been sitting next to me. Yeah, it's that kind of, you know, I, I see them all the time. And it's interesting that I haven't, you know, I do like technology and I do like to experiment. I am very open to these things. Right? I do have a very, I know it sounds weird when I'm saying, oh, I think it's quite expensive. I do like the ROI. I do genuinely want to go and spend money on it. This is a passion of mine. I like to have good technology. I like to play with this and discover it. But every time I see my colleagues using them, it's, it looks a mild inconvenience, right? Because they look at the phone on the front screen and go, oh, I've got a message. Then they, they, they open it up and they, they do the flip open. And then it looks a bit unwieldy as they're typing. And then they connect, they're either holding it with one hand, then typing one finger or they're trying to do the keyboard and it's a little bit too big for them. And then when they're showing me stuff, like when they're trying to show me movies and things, it looks weird, right? Because the way I'd like to experience movies is kind of, you know, landscape. What's it, 10, 9 or whatever? That 16 to 9. 16 by 9 or 16 by 10, yeah. 16 by 9, right, exactly, yeah. So maybe you have to live with it. Maybe you actually have to really go, yeah, I want it. I don't know if the... I can't see myself benefiting from it at this time. I think that's the challenge. I think the simple answer is that, oh, therefore, I don't know if I want to pay £1,600 for it or 2900 or whatever it is for the Mate X2. I think, Rafe, the one that intrigues me the most, actually, because so the foldy over ones that look like laptops, mm. which are the expensive ones that Ewan was talking about there, and actually were mostly the first-gen folding screen phones, they were all huge, expensive, and we'll come back to talking about how good they were later on, but certainly the early versions were pretty compromised because they gave up everything in favour of this screen. Mm. But I'm curious about this Flip 3 because the criticism of all those other phones, aside from the specs and, and those sorts of things, was what Ewan was saying there. It was about the software, which was the software was never really optimised to work on this kind of fold-out sort of small tablet display, so you mm. really got the benefit of applications that took advantage of this screen size because it was smaller than a tablet but bigger than a phone and it was an, a weird sort of square resolution. But actually, the Flip 3, when it's unflipped, looks like the dimensions and the layout yes. of a traditional phone. And it's yeah. also about the same price as a high-end phone. So you're starting to get the price, the form factor, and the sort of existing software usability. I wonder if that actually might be the one that will begin to crack the market. I mean. If you were choosing, would you take the flip? Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, I think it's the most normal of these foldable phones. And I can certainly see the appeal of it. I mean, if we roll it right back, the reason to get a foldable screen is because you get a bigger screen in a smaller size device. And where does that become a really big advantage? And what's the trade-off? That's kind of the question we should ask ourselves. And we'll come back to the trade-offs later because I think that's both hardware and software. But I think you get the biggest benefits um, in terms of that size reduction, ironically, from the Flip 3, because that gets down to be quite a small phone in your pocket. 
they've done a good job on the design and that's evolved through a couple of generations as well. And that's because they're not trying to make it even bigger than the current screens are. And I think that has been a trend that we've seen. Like Over the last 10 years, the average size of phone has increased from sort of three and a half inches to now. I think most people are carrying 5.5 to 6 inch phones and there are bigger options out here. Initially, they were used to kind of get to almost small tablet size. And I think that made sense because that's where the screens were coming from. And I do think there is a market for that, but not giving a massive advantage because, as Ewan was alluding to there, it gets a bit awkward because you're not getting up to quite the full benefits of the tablet. And this is something like the iPad mm. mini, full-size iPad right. trade-off. And I actually think once you get to six and a half inches on a phone screen, like you really need to go to 10 inches before having that extra screen space makes a difference because that's when you can go to having kind of multiple things on screen at the same time and so if you you know really roll things back like i actually think a lot of the early generations and what i'd call that vertical fold form factor doesn't really have a purpose other than oh it's cool technology and people buy it for that reason but i agree with you when you get to that kind of horizontal form factor and actually trying to make a standard phone size smaller and there are i'm sure we'll see some more variations around that as well that to me is the one that seems to resonate with people more. And that's certainly been borne out by some of the early reviews and some of the feedback. I think in answering this question, like whether you'd buy one or not, though, you probably then need to ask yourself the questions that you've hinted at, which are what compromises are in the hardware to achieve this new thing? And what are the compromises in the software? And maybe we should tackle those next. Yes. I mean, let's beat up the Microsoft Surface Duo for a moment because... <laughs> Oh, I had such high hopes for that. Well, I was curious because it was nice to see Microsoft innovating in mobile again because obviously you know, Windows Phone hadn't been the success we'd all hoped for, and uh, especially Rafe. And you know, they're sort of the foray into working alongside Android manufacturers. But this was a sort of a foray into doing something a bit different. But notably, the Surface Duo is different from this new Samsung device, which or on the outside looks like it has the same form factor because you can flip it you can turn it sideways, open it up like a laptop, like a clamshell, and you can have that kind of either L-shaped laptop-style layout or you can fold it out to a tablet-style arrangement. And Rafe, you're right, the Galaxy Fold device has a screen of 7.6 inches, so it's sort of bigger than a big phone and smaller than a tablet, albeit with a slightly weird resolution. But Microsoft solved this by having two screens. So they literally had a hinge down the middle and two screens yeah. facing each other, which sandwiched together. And I think it was pretty much universally panned because it offered you the ability to run two applications side by side in a normal display, but that was sort of not well optimized in the Android operating system, or it offered you the ability to do things across the two displays. But of course, that then required that Android understood that you were on a special type of device and that the apps right. had been optimized for it. And of course, this is perennially the problem for the manufacturers of Android hardware is that they can't optimize the operating system or the applications in the way that Apple can. And I mean, arguably, Apple needs to less because they're not being quite as uh, inventive or, or quite as aggressive with their form factors. But the Surface Duo, like, as, as I've said, now, what, 670 quid device down from 1300, because effectively nobody wanted it. Whilst Huawei and Samsung were running experiments in folding screen technology, which should have showed their hand as to where they wanted mm. these devices to go and before they could get it small enough on the flip to be a normal kind of flip phone style. The Surface Duo didn't test 
any of those things because it had a fancy hinge and some slightly clunky software. <laughs> and it tried to address today's compromises rather than to start to bake in new technology. Mm. So let's touch on that software. You and you're the closest to having had some experience with these devices and you've already said no. Right. But is the view of those that are using these devices routinely now that it's a good software experience? Because I'm fussy about that. Yeah. I see. I, I'm not too sure of the colleagues that I know that are using these. One of them actually swapped straight to the, the S21, right? Which is, I, th- I felt interesting. So again, for people who don't follow the model numbers, that is just to a large high-end Samsung traditional the style The top of the device. range, yeah. traditional, right, with a great camera. Actually, he was raving about the camera. Yes. And then the camera is really, really good. Now, in all of the use cases I have seen, and I know that in the Fold 3, I'm sure I saw that Samsung has done some special stuff with Office and you know some collaborations with some app developers to make sure that there's you know taking advantage of the extra screen space. Everyone else, everyone I've seen using it, they're simply using WhatsApp, right? It's just a bigger WhatsApp screen. And it looked to me as though the cognitive load, and look, I'm reading a lot into this here, but it looked to me as though they would use the smaller kind of front screen and go, okay, you know, but now I want to respond to that. So then they open it up and then it's just a bit annoying typing because I think most of us are quite used to this you know, thumb typing. Now, you know, I, oh, okay, once or twice they've shown me photos and stuff, but this is anecdotal, I know, right? And the, all of these anecdotal experiences are informing as to whether I think, no, I need to buy that. Yeah, I, I can see myself using it. So the way that they were using it, then if I project my own usage onto it, no, I think at the minute, it feels too annoying. Ergo, I don't think I would get the productivity out of it. I don't think I'd get the benefit out of it at the moment. But I wonder, where are you, you know, what are you feeling? Well, part of the challenge with a larger tablet type device is precisely that, what do you use it for? Because I'm sitting here looking at some of the press photos that Samsung have put out for the Z Fold 3, and it looks to me like it's a 16 by 9 device. So that's narrow and tall when it's in a folded configuration and you mm. could turn it sideways and watch a movie on it. I'm guessing at that resolution, it looks about that or thereabouts. But of course, when you open it up, you have maintained the same height but double the width. So you, you end up with sort of 16 by 18 or square to all intents and purposes. And they have a picture of a pen next to it and the display is covered in sort of sketching and drawing and mm. those sorts of things. But I think in exactly the way that you've described, I think I would be so frustrated by the inability to do a quick WhatsApp message or quickly check Twitter because you have to sort of open the device and then hold it with two hands, presumably. It's like basically you know, picking up an iPad every time you wanted to send a text yes. message. There's that convenience factor. And actually, the number of times that I want to do that large screen experience on my phone is fairly few and far between. So, Rafe, at the moment, mm. is this manufacturer's sort of technology looking for a problem? I think to some extent, I mean, all the high-end phones are actually halo devices. They're not really what make the manufacturers money. It's the ones that sell in the tens of millions of units. And some flagships get there, but most of these foldable phones, we're probably talking about a few million units in terms of sales. I mean, I think this software question is interesting. If you stick to the demo that you're shown, I think it works very well because they go to quite a bit of effort to make sure everything runs. But then actually glitches come in if you use it over the longer term and then particularly when you're going to third-party applications yeah specific apps they just don't take advantage of the full screen which i think can be quite jarring samsung in particular has put a lot of effort into this because you know 
it's now the third generation product. And if you want to buy one of these things, actually, this is probably a good time to buy because it's been through the first two hardware revisions. There's definitely improvements that have come in. And I quite like the idea of the flip in particular, because I can see the appeal of having a smaller device. But actually, that big screen, it's just not quite what I'm looking for. I mean, if I went back, you know, five, 10 years, I was definitely buying phones because I wanted access to the latest innovation in hardware. And for me, that was around cameras. Mm. And the screen just hasn't bothered me for a while. And I think there's just a bit more work to do here on UI and software platforms being able to adapt to those different form factors and screen sizes, which I think is something that's going to happen because I think we will see this become a bit more mainstream and or we'll probably see a bit more variation in phones just away from that rectangular piece of glass. Let's talk about screens and screen technology because I'm sitting here looking and um, there's this fantastic quote on the Samsung website. I mean, they, it looks so Apple-like and then you read the copy and it's so different and you're reminded of the difference between the two firms. And uh, my favourite quote here is, less breakable and more scratch-resistant than ever before. I was like, oh, I didn't think it was going to be breakable or scratchable. <laughs> so <laughs> like, kind of, definitely won't burn your house down as much as they used to. It is interesting, this, though, because the first generation of these devices had a very noticeable seam down the middle. And right. there was all kinds of commentary yes. on how many times can you open and fold it. I think that problem has mostly been solved now. And actually, they feel quite right. smooth. There's not really thick devices going on here. There's still room for improvement. I mean, I would note that actually this idea has been around for a while. I think I'm right in saying it was about 2005 or so that Polymer Vision demonstrated a concept phone which had this kind of foldable smartphone, the Redius, at Mobile World Congress. A bit later, Nokia had the Morph. But it wasn't really until Royale and Samsung showed off at CES kind of flexible phones and screens and the lcd technology which is where the modern ones come from and that was 2013 and it was then really only i think 2018 where you saw that coming into production and then 2019 you saw xiaomi and huawei and samsung starting to show things off and it was 2019 where you had the galaxy fold at mwc and there's since then been effectively three years 2020 2021 of it being improved and so i actually think the hardware now has got to the point where i would be willing to buy into it in terms of it's going to be robust it's going to not kind of wear out and all the early owners in the early devices there was a bit of a like there was a higher failure rate and people just aren't very tolerant of that even if it was at one percent or whatever was deemed acceptable i think that's now dropped down proof will be in the pudding but there are things in there you know yes it is more scratch resistant they've been able to work out how to put the layering in and all of that yeah except that copy is a interesting way to do it but i think it's there I still think, though, there are some inherent compromises you have on these devices. I mean, it's interesting. Samsung on the Fold 3 have introduced the first underscreen front-facing camera, which is an interesting technology. But actually, that's a bit of a compromise. They did uh-huh. it so to get rid of the punch-out that you've had traditionally on high-end phones. That was kind of a bold thing to do because actually the camera isn't so great there. And the cameras then on the back tend to be a bit compromised because you've got less space to play with because the screen the whole matrix and it's not just the thing on top it's all things all the way down take up a bit more space and so to get to that acceptable thickness you are compromising on other components and i think this for me is actually why i probably wouldn't buy one right now because the compromises that you get on other elements depending on which one you're looking at that can be on camera it can be on processor memory and 
other bits and pieces with these phones and the bill of materials you tend to trade off in one or other places either for price reasons or just to make it fit into the form factor or physics and Huawei the Mate X2 which is that £2,000 phone is kind of the exception to that but that's £2,000 that's double what the kind of general flagship price is and so it's that second set of compromises ironically where I think the foldable screen technology has got reasonably mature and I've played with a Flip 3 and the Fold 3 and some of the earlier ones and I have friends who had those devices it's the first generation that's probably got there but unfortunately it's the sort of other elements because some people would always want a phone like that because it's kind of cool and because of other reasons or they really do want that compact phone bigger screen but is it the primary driver the primary buying signal that's where I sort of come away a little bit I think so we've talked a lot about these Samsung devices because they feel like the obviously the most recently announced ones they look the most polished and the push that Samsung has with the operators and with its marketing budget means that these will be the ones that people will see more but there are Xiaomi, there's Huawei, there's other manufacturers. Is there any meaningful difference between the way that the manufacturers are approaching these devices? In the early days, I think one of the earliest Huawei devices was sort of a reversed where the main screen was on the outside, wasn't it? And you unfolded it around. And that was an interesting design decision, although I don't think that's persisted. I think most manufacturers now are are having the fold in the centre. Rafe, in terms of, I noticed here, for example, that they're keen to point out that the Gorilla Glass is only on the fixed stationary screen. Obviously, that's normally a good marketing term because people know Gorilla Glass as the tough glass that doesn't break on their phones. Mm. Are the manufacturers distinguishing hardware-wise or is this just now a commodity? I don't think it's a commodity yet because there are different implementations of this. For example, Huawei have made a great deal about the fact that it will really fold flat when it's closed whereas Samsung has a bit more of a gap that's been reduced in the, the latest devices. But ultimately, kind of the radius of bend, I like how much you can flex the screens, is pretty fixed. They're coming from a similar set of suppliers, so it's like other smartphone components. It's less about the big differences in like the actual screen. It's then how you put together the complete package around it. And I would actually look at, say, the Flip 3 and say that stands out for me because they've done a good job on the design and the look and feel so it's got the two-tone finish on it which sounds like a little bit oh that doesn't matter you want to worry about the hardware but actually most phones are also fashion items people do care how they look what colors they come in and those things so it's more where they've thought about how to use the phone and you know the motorola razor which we haven't mentioned that much was a call back to the classic phone it was that same kind of some people talk about it as the inny fold. I've been talking about that as the um, horizontal fold. That kind of had crossover appeal because people who remember the razor wanted it almost as a fashion item. So I would look to those kind of things. It's easy to look at it just through like the lens of is that the best implementation or is, you know are they differentiating? But the truth is like there isn't that much room for differentiation in hardware terms. It's more how you use that hardware and combine it together. As you say, Samsung have pulled out a couple of things we've already mentioned the underscreen camera it's more durable they're saying it can be flexed more times and those kind of things so each year there are small incremental improvements but fundamentally there aren't that many manufacturers producing these i mean lg have pulled out the market altogether now said they weren't going to do it because they didn't believe they needed that halo device and i think that was just like a kind of an excuse 
I think you can look for Oppo and some of the other Chinese manufacturers. They will come in with more devices because effectively it will be commoditized. Now, I suspect to this point, it's been largely constrained by the supply chain and that Samsung, Huawei and Xiaomi between them had bought up most of the capacity. But those things are being ramped up. So we'll actually see a bit more variation and maybe some differentiation calls from the designers. But it's a bit like the glass slabs. They kind of tend to converge together into these two form factors, the vertical or the horizontal fold. So what would get you to yes, Ewan? Yeah. Let's not worry about you buying it yourself because that's too precise a question. The point where Mm. you'd start to recommend these devices to other people for consideration where you'd start to say, check it out if you want to spend that much money on a phone, you know, if you want a high-end device. Because I'm looking at the Flip 3 5G here, and actually, you know, whilst I'm not especially a big fan of Samsung's for a variety of reasons, these are attractive-looking devices. They've got nice exterior screens, the camera Mm -hmm. layout and the materials and the presentation is quite attractive. I could well imagine that if you were a Samsung buyer and you liked Samsung devices and perhaps you were in the Android ecosystem, that actually, just the mm. way it looks, actually could be quite a big selling point if, you know, as Rafe says, you know, you're driven by fashion. I think there are a lot. I wonder if the flip feels as though this, from the, the colours they've, they've chosen, that they're, they're targeting a particular demographic, potentially, I think, more female than male. I don't know how fair that is, you know. It's weird, yeah. A lot of the pictures in the marketing material are of devices that are Colourful kind of... Light pastel colours and with flowers on and with female models holding them. Mm. But actually, when you then look at the spec of the device, you know, there are a full spectrum of colours. You know, obviously no one one chooses colour just because of their male or female or or, or whatever. But um, Mm. there is a range. I mean, there's sort of matte black and all this kind of stuff. So there's a Mm. a whole bunch of sort of what would be considered traditionally masculine kind of colours. But I look at this and I think like jeans pocket, that would be convenient for anybody to have. I can imagine yeah. seeing these, right? Because here in a man, it's a very interesting experience just because it's such an Android country. And there are Huawei's, there are Opals, there are all sorts of Android devices. Samsung, of course, is a leader. A lot of my colleagues are on all sorts of different types of Samsung and Huawei devices. Yeah, you know, there are Huawei stores, I think I've said to you before, in the mall. And my children have mistaken them for Apple stores. Yeah. Yeah, they, they look very similar. Now... I do expect to see more people, especially with the Flip. And I'm sure I will see more because I, I, I have colleagues that are using the, the Fold 2, at least. So I think they will be popular. Now, you said, what would it be for me? So I, because I don't buy myself the ROI, I'm not looking at the Flip myself. I want the higher capability. I want as good a camera as possible. And I'm, I'm annoyed that the Fold doesn't really seem to have the best camera. I like the S21 camera. Anyway, let's just see. I think how you can get me to buy it is make it easy and make it feel effective in terms of cost. They do have something, Samsung, called the Samsung Upgrade Plan. Now, I have been critical. I remember being critical for quite a while of Samsung until they they began to really get this thing moving. And it does look pretty good. It's compelling, I think, in the UK. But I was able to take my S20 to the Samsung store here in the mall, and it took an hour. It's quite annoying, you know, lots of typing by the guy behind the desk. But I was able to get half the cost off the S21. Now, that felt annoying, okay, because I only bought the S20, you know, six months ago or something. I did the Samsung upgrade process with them. That was good. 
Now, there's a thing available in the UK called Samsung Upgrade, and it's basically it's a 24-month commitment, but you get a new phone after 12 months, similar to what you do. It's effectively the iPhone upgrade program. and It's very similar, mm. very similar, yeah. I think as much as I want to scoff, it's a great idea because Apple didn't invent no. you know, financing products and, and neither have Samsung really copied them. I, I wish they'd come up with a different name because I think it <laughs> shows a lack of creativity. But it does what it says in the tin. It does what it says in the tin. So if the Galaxy Z, Z Fold 3, I think if you got me at the right time, it's £159 up front and then 23 payments of £48 and then 300 quid in the final payment. But the idea is that you do your 10% down, you pay 12 months, and then you get a new phone because you, you trade it in. Now, I think that if you catch me at the right time, I might go, oh, it's okay, fine. And actually, I think that's key, isn't it? Because one of the concerns I'd have about buying these devices is that by buying high-end devices, I nearly always have to have a think about what's going to happen at the end of the life of this device. Because yes. I buy brand new devices, I buy a, an iPhone Pro Max or something like that. Yeah. I know I'm going to own it for less than its full usable life, so I want to know that I'll get some value back from it one way or another so that I can get the return. I know that iPhones, both through the official programs, through resellers, through networks, through the second-hand market, frankly, to people I know, it's really easy to move on Apple devices. There is a well-established, quite high demand for devices. That's not true of novel form factors and most of the Android market. Rafe. In fact, if you want a really brilliantly valued device, go and buy a generation plus one of a Samsung device or something with an excellent camera in it, and you can get it for absolute peanuts on the secondary market. And so is it important that these flip devices come with all of this financial wrap? And I noticed that Ewan didn't mention it, but it comes with kind of insurance and extended warranty and all those sorts of things as well, just to sort of mitigate that. Will it have value? Will it break while I own it kind of concern? I have to be honest, I'm not sure how much people buying these devices really think about that because this is, you know, an extravagant purchase beyond kind of high-end device. So I, I think status and fashion comes into it, but it probably does help get you over that barrier. But I don't think that either of those programs is universal. They're not in all markets. You know, people are still buying through operators who kind of offer a similar program, but you don't always get the value for money. So there's a, there's definitely a balance there. Mm. I'm going to try and answer the same question because for me personally, it gets me quite close. And I did say I like the, the Flip 3 as I think the most normal of the foldable phones. But I will say the Fold 3 gets me a lot closer because it does add the things like the brighter screen. It's waterproof. It's got the S Pen support as well, which I think was a first for Samsung's kind of foldable range. But Mm. actually the thing that catches my attention most about foldable phones from a personal point of view, and this is probably my history with Cyan and Communicator speaking, is what they call the flex mode, which is basically when you leave the phone half folded and then you use it kind of a bit like a mini laptop. And this is something that's fairly unique to Samsung. And by the way, I think Samsung in general is leading the way on these foldable devices because they've just invested more into it. And the flex mode is something really interesting. You can have it stand on its own and shoot pictures or video so you don't have to prop it up. It's kind of its own portrait. That's quite nice. Or you can then, you know, put it on the table and do those kind of hands-free video calls or start to do the typing on it. And that comes back to the software comment where, you know, apps that use flex mode are obviously even fewer and far between than the ones that use the full screen. 
And so for me, I think seeing a bit more of improvement in that and seeing what happens throughout the life of the Fold 3 and then potentially what, what will inevitably be into the Fold 4, you know, for me personally, it's like harking back to the sign device. And I really like those clamshells. But at the moment, the size is rather dictated by the screen overall. And so I think there's a bit of a compromise in that flex mode because it's not considered the primary form factor. The primary form factor is still folding it out and getting that bigger screen. So for me personally, it would be, can we move on a little bit on that? Because that opens up new and interesting things. But it's also like the maturing market will be great because the software will get more stable. You'll have more apps. You know, I still love my phones and tech, but I want something that is not going to be annoying in day to day. Well, maybe just on that boundary. And like, it's great, actually, that we're able to record an episode on this because I can't remember the last time that we were able to talk about kind of innovation in smartphone that was actually quite big deal about, you know, the whole purpose or the way the device is put together. We've talked about cameras and waterproofing and other things coming in and bigger screens. But it kind of reminds me of when we would see these new form factors come out, actually going back probably 15 years in terms of the difference between some of the Sony Ericsson UIQ devices and what Nokia was doing, also Sony and Samsung between Palm and Windows and all of those kind of things. And we're pretty close now for me going, oh, yeah, I want to go and consider that very seriously. The difference is, I guess, though, that it's become such an important tool in the way I operate and live life, both from a personal and business point of view, I'm probably less willing to be experimental. And it's a big mm. ask to go and buy one of these phones, which is a little bit unproven. The cost thing is absolutely there and the depreciation that you mentioned, Ben. But it's also, it's quite a risk in something that is central to my life. It, you know, maybe I've got risk averse, don't want to take that chance and I don't want to carry multiple devices around with me. and so. The thing that would push me over is just seeing a bit more mainstream acceptance and seeing it start to descend through the price tiers because that's the signal for me that it's kind of mass market and we're just not there yet. Despite the fact third generation, if you like this stuff, think about buying in now, but go and try it out. And like Samsung have demo programs where you can borrow the phone for a couple of weeks and then send it back if you don't like it. I think that applies in the US and the UK markets. And I'm sure we'll see more of that because the barrier to entry on these is just a bit too high at the moment. Mm. And these devices will be in operator stores on very prominent stands, yeah, I imagine, as well, you know, with lots of marketing material. We've gone nigh on, I mean, depending on how the edit on this goes, nigh on 40 minutes without me saying the words Apple. So quick. Yeah. It's been really nice to have an episode where we talked about Android. And this is the only place where folding screens are happening at the moment. But I think we can't ignore the elephant in the room because the answer when the question came in around would we buy a folding screen phone? The other side of that, and I forget whether it was in the actual question or whether it was part of the follow-up conversation, but the implication there is, well, you know, should Apple be launching a folding screen phone? And I suppose it's notable that they haven't, but I think that Samsung wording, the fact that we're three generations in where each year the technology has moved on noticeably, you know, the reviews of these devices yes. note the huge differences between last year's devices. I just don't think it's in Apple territory yet. You know, I think Apple is consciously yeah. late to the party with this stuff because they will only do things where they can do them absolutely exceptionally well. And so I think, no, Apple absolutely won't release any folding phones, and I suspect probably not for a couple of generations because they're still too early adopter, and Apple will never have a device that, as Rafe said earlier, only sells a couple of million. 
they need to have devices that sell in the many, many millions. Mm. The iPhone 12 mini, it's reported that that has sold poorly, despite, I think, mm-hmm. the enthusiast market asking for it. And the rumors are that there'll be a form factor for that in the next generation, but that Apple doesn't intend to keep making this very small form factor for much longer. And that's not a controversial phone size. That's a phone that's basically iPhone 5 sort of size and has been, you know, a few years ago was considered mainstream. And yet, you know, tastes have changed and Apple's not even going to maintain that in its range, let alone a folding screen. And then I'd say the other thing is the ecosystem, the wider ecosystem. I don't think Apple is ready to introduce folding screens because a singular, unusual adapting screen layout for one potentially hero device requiring all the software to adapt or to make use of these features. And Apple would typically insist through the App Store terms and conditions that developers updated their apps to accommodate this mode of operation that would be presumably folded and unfolded. It's a huge undertaking and no doubt it will come at some point in the future and there may be models with adapting screens somehow. But it feels like one of those things where the need and the opportunity and the value to everybody in the ecosystem needs to be much clearer. Mm. I suppose then the other thing I would say is even if they did bump their heads and release one, no, I don't think I would buy one at this stage because I think at this stage it is exactly as Rafe says, it's a halo device. It's a sort of a prestigious purchase. It's something bought for curiosity and showing off and that's fine. Like, like I buy lots of things for those reasons. But it's for those reasons, not for its improved function, because these devices don't get that much smaller, they don't perform that much better, and there are other ways to solve the problems. And that's not to say that there aren't probably labs full of folding devices in Cupertino, but they're nowhere close to being finished products. Mm. Rafe, when and if Apple makes folding screen things, do you think they will be iPhones or iPads? That's a great question. I think there'll be iPads. Oh. Certainly, I can see more value there in terms of portability and adaptability versus a phone handset. Ewan, if you could buy a folding iPhone somehow, let's say these two form factors, would that be appealing? You know, yeah. sort of accepting you have to do a lot of imagining about what the rest of it would be like? I'd certainly be a lot more open to, to hear Apple's pitch, yeah, because there's a lot of thinking going in there. And then I do like the fact that they can command the ecosystem. We're going this way, boys, guys. You know, this this way, come on. And I think, you know, developers would really follow them. I think this is the problem that you mentioned earlier with the Android developers. With Apple, I think it could be pretty compelling. But, uh, yeah, let us see, guys. Let's not forget there's potentially other ways that the market could go because I think foldable screens might be interesting in the wearable space and apple might end up doing something there sooner you know you can think of what comes next instead of an apple watch or when we get to smart glasses or whatever else so i don't think we should constrain ourselves to thinking about phone and tablets and you know the bet there is that apple will look at something and go okay let's use it in this way simply because i don't think all the possibilities of what foldable screens allow us to do have really been thought through yet and we really see two or three form factors on the market and the one thing that apple do seem to be quite good at doing is waiting for things to scale up from a manufacturing point of view or investing in it themselves heavily behind the scenes and i haven't followed the supply chains on this they may be doing things just as they did for 
Gorilla Glass and the foundries and all the stuff that went into that, as they've done on their own silicon, what I'd expect them to do is use what's out there, but put it together in a new way that no one has quite thought about. And I think that's what will most likely happen here. It might not even be in one of their current product lines. It could be the thing that they use to make kind of AR or XR type things work. And that's the smart glasses or something head mounted or something I just can't think about yet. And they definitely have a form for that previously. You know, if you think back to the original iPhone, it was the kind of use of the capacitive touchscreen and things like that. With, um, you know, the iPhone, they then looked at cameras and technology around that. With the iPad, it was the way they were glowing the screen matrix together. All those kind of things. I think that's where I would see Apple pushing rather than coming out with a... um, I mean, having said that, if it works, they'll absolutely go, me too, we need one as well. I'm just not sure I see that happening with foldable phones right now. And there's an important cultural difference because it feels very unlikely to me, based on what we know about Apple as a firm, that there are people in labs saying, hey, we've got these folding screens that can do this much amount of fold or this size or this brightness. What can we make with them? And that Apple always tend to be driven by the need first and then finding ways to solve that problem. And I suppose, yes, Rafe, I, I hadn't considered it, but flexible displays don't have to be folding displays so it could be a wearable or a screen that wraps around as part of a wearable i'm really intrigued by the lg tv which i just had up a minute ago the lg oled r which is a tv that you buy in a stand that like a piece of furniture in a box mm-hmm. and the tv rolls down into the box to fold away to make it look like a piece of furniture right oh that's interesting then it has a sort of an intermediate mode where the screen rolls up just a couple of inches and has like a, a kind of a passive display of the time and the weather and the sort of things that you might have on a smart TV screen. Yeah, yeah. That is cool. That's nice. And again, that perhaps you know suggests ways that you could innovate around laptops or iPads or even home devices where the next iMac or, you know, home computing devices could have mm. screens that fold away or devices that are more flexible. That is cool. Yeah, I like that. But it's certainly been interesting to watch. But uh, in the meantime, Samsung has nailed their cars up to the flag. We're nearly out of time. I suppose mm. the final thought, perhaps it's a question we're not going to answer, but it's just something that occurred to me. When do we think Google would make the folding pixel? And the mm. reason I ask is not because of Google's devices, particularly being more or less interesting than the others, but at what point do you think folding screen support gets baked into the Android operating system to sort of standardise the way folding screens work. Uh, because yeah. I assume that it's not until Google have a reference design for it that manufacturers would get a standardised way. Because, of course, there's everything from APIs that would tell applications, you're folded, you're unfolded, these sorts of things, yes. to also having APIs to display information about apps on external screens and things like that. And We've had those things in the past, but they do tend to be driven by bespoke manufacturer setups. They're not actually part of the underlying yeah. operating system. So it's a techie question, so I'll let you go first, Rafe. I find it very difficult to predict what Google is going to do with their Pixel devices because it's varied between high-end, mid-tier, everything else. I'm going to go 12 months' time. Okay, I was going to say, let me re-ask the question then, because the, the Pixel devices is just how I sort of understand it in terms of it's supported, you know, that's the reference implementation of Android, right. you know, the pixels are. But what about just Android as an operating system having some kind of native support for folding devices? 
I think it's either going to be 12 months or they just won't do it at all because I think things will move elsewhere. It might be too much of a stretch. Yeah. And Ewan, do you think that they need to bake in that support for folding screens? I think it would be ideal if we're going to try and push things forward and differentiate between you know the Apple ecosystem and, and the Android ecosystem because it could be a phenomenal differentiator, I think, ongoing. I don't know if Google's attention is anywhere near. You know, they, they've got to get this the new Pixel reset, bring it out. They've got to try and sell some, some degree of volume. It's not been that successful for them, has it? I always politely ignore how many Pixel phones they sell because although I know lots of people who like them, I always assume that it's more to show other manufacturers what they think yeah, it's a, it's a halo. the devices should be like rather than actually as to serve as a, a device to make revenue for them. Mm. But as mm. you say, whoever knows what Google are thinking, <laughs> there's a thought. <laughs> okay, so we should wrap up. A kind of a, a, a resounding, I don't know, unfolding screens. Mm. I think, are we broadly positive though? Excited. I think we are. I mean, we've been kicking a lot here, but broadly positive, I think. Well, I think certainly they look like more viable offerings. Rafe said that um, these are the first ones that you should consider sort of buying mm. really beyond the enthusiast market. And certainly that chimes with a lot of the reviews as well. Interesting that they've got the different form factors. So yeah, nice to see actually Samsung using its R&D skills to actually come yep. up with something that really is so visibly different about these devices. I mean, you can argue they differentiated all kinds of tiers, but then unfortunately they wrap it in a shell that looks like an iPhone and it sort of rather detracts from it. So <laughs> this is fascinating. I'm I don't know, I'm intrigued. I'd, I'd love to play with one of these for a bit, but I'm also not sure I'm ready to migrate even partly to a, an Android ecosystem. So I need to go and find someone who owns one of these to let me have a borrow. Yes, definitely. As ever, be interested in listeners' takes. I suspect there must be people out there who have owned the folding devices before. Have you had one? And can you give us some insight into how it works in practice? Did you like it? Did the novelty last? And did the wow factor continue to be wow? Did it break? Did it live up to its longevity? Promises that um, manufacturers make. We'd love to get you some feedback on that. As ever, we also really grateful for your questions. This wasn't one that we could tackle with the three answers, but nevertheless, it's always been driven by listener feedback. So we're very grateful for that. If you've got either any follow-up to this one or any questions you'd like us to tackle, please get in touch. We're 361podcast.com at 361podcast on Twitter. You can talk to us privately, publicly, or send us an email, however you'd like. You can reach us that way. And as ever, we're also grateful to everyone who supports us on Patreon, 361podcast.com slash support, where you can support the cost of production of the show from $1 per episode. Thank you to everybody who does that. As ever, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to chat to you. Lots of love. Thank you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with something else, not a one question, three answers. So you've got at least a fortnight to think of your questions and send them in. Mm. And I believe we are still saying anyone who would like to leave a humorous review of the podcast on iTunes or any of the podcast directories, leave a review, good or bad, as long as it makes us laugh and Rafe will send you a postcard with some concrete on it. Yep, absolutely. Well, we still get postcards. Well, I feel like we haven't made that offer for a while, but he's still got a few postcards left, so we might as well use them up. Yeah. So if you'd like to leave a review and you haven't. A handwritten Blandford postcard. Absolutely. And if you feel like you've missed out on a postcard because you submitted a review and I haven't, delivered and hadn't met our SLA please get in touch as well because I suspect a few people may have fallen through the gap excellent there we go right back in a fortnight's time I think we're going to have some exciting smart home news I've made some progress on mine we might be close to some iPhone announcements and news then as well and I'd also like before the end of the season to talk a little bit about Apple's new devices based on the new ARM chips I realize we're very Apple centric but uh, I think they are going to be 
very exciting and interesting. So I'm going to insist that we talk about those. Anything else you'd like to hear about, let us know. As ever, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Likewise, Ben. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. That's the right answer. We'll be back in a fortnight. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I found out that Albert Einstein was a real person the other day. Oh, I'm sure I'm going to regret this. (laughs) Yeah. Something about some quantum thing. Go on. No, I thought he was a theoretical physicist. Ah. Oh, very cool. Very good. Yeah. Great. Do you mind if I just go and switch off the... Te- it is quite cold now. I am feeling it, gents. This is exactly the same temperature as you've got, apparently. That's outrageous. I mean, you're recording a podcast with someone for 10 years. You think you know them. Look, now he's turning his fridge off as well. I think that's where he keeps all his bottled water, Ben. Oh, Rafe, have I told you about the incredible health benefits of dried grapes? <laughs> oh, came there's going to be something about raisins here. Yeah, I'm just raising awareness. Oh, oh my goodness. okay. I just that is quite good. Put my headphones back on when I heard dried grapes. What? <laughs> anyway, we're ready to go. Welcome back, gents. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Ben. And you? I'm good, thank you. Brave plan for coming to us live from London. How are you? How is things in London? Come on, I can't understand you. How is things in London? How are they? All right, Can we start that again? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so what language are you... You know, come on, we've got children listening to this. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back, chaps. How are you doing? Oh, very well, thank you, Ben. How about you? I'm good, thank you. And I'm being extra, extra clear because I've just been forced to restart the episode for being insufficiently clear. So we'll be super duper clear. Uh, Keep the diction going, please. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, years ago, my, uh, years ago, my, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not going to do that joke, actually. Go on. That's a rude Are joke. You... <laughs> a chap said to me, can I use your dictaphone? And I said, no, use your finger like everyone else. <laughs> okay, let's start again. <clears throat> One more try. Third time lucky. Zero take starts. <laughs> Rusty? Not me. <laughs> right then. Let's do an intro. Okay. Y'all ready for this? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right, let's go for it. Okay. Zero takes. Oh, Jesus, dress. Don't be stressed because you come dressed in your gym kit. Exactly. That's how you dress. You're cool. You're wearing technical fabrics. You're comfortable, you know. Exactly. You're wicking sweat away efficiently. It's getting a bit hot now. Yeah. I need to put the aircon on. Okay. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Ewan McLeod. Says your name first, Ben. Oh, I didn't see that bit above. Yeah, follow the script. Honestly, like you just can't get the staff anymore. No, no. I'll give you another <laughs> zero take. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Three Six One, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name is Ewan McLeod. My name is Ben Smith, and I'm Rafe Blanford. This is season twenty, episode eight, and this week we're talking about the growing availability of flexible screens and asking whether it's time to pick up a folding smartphone. When I am a king, people who say pick up rather than buy will be shot, but I will allow it for the purposes of the intro. We're being relaxed. It's informal. When I'm king, people who don't read the script go second and say, my name is Ben Smith, but also get shot. Yeah, what he said. (laughs) Mark's got me covered in the edit. It's fine. I paid. (laughs) Well, okay. Wait, 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 wait. Do you want to do a third? Wait. Do you want a third zero take? Wait, no, 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 no. No, I'm just going to help Mark in case he really cares, right? Bye.
There you go. <laughs> well, in that case, then, right, let me help out, Mark. Hang on a second. Okay. I'm. <laughs> <laughs>